My name is graven on his hand. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. Your Majesty, if you were king, you wouldn't be afraid of anything. Not nobody. Not no how. Not even a rhinoceros. Imposterous. How about a hippopotamus? Why, I'd trash him from top to bottom. Supposing you met an elephant? I'd wrap him up in cellophane. What if it were a brontosaurus? I'd show him who was king of the forest. How? How? Courage. What makes a king out of a slave? Courage. What makes the flag on the mast away? Makes the elephant charge his tusk in the misty mist or the dusky dusk. What makes the muskrat guard his musk? Courage. What makes the sphinx the seventh wonder? Courage. What makes the dawn come up like thunder? What makes the hot top so hot? What puts the ape in ape What have they got that I ain't got? Courage. Oh, you can say that again. We're playing a Wizard of Oz clip. You've got to do it. Amen. So you all know this scene. This is my favorite scene in the movie, The Wizard of Oz. And the main character in this scene goes by the name of whom? Cowardly Lion. You guys don't know that? Cowardly Lion in The Wizard of Oz. The main character in this scene is the Cowardly Lion. And, and what we see from his speech is an oxymoron or a statement that seems to contradict itself while it's being spoken. And you know the lion is supposed to be the king of the jungle, right? And the lion is not supposed to be afraid of anything or anyone. The lion is supposed to be fearless. However, we know that the cowardly lion somehow lost his courage over time. So today we're going to be talking about expansion. If you look at your outline and look at the title of the sermon, expansion or growth of the church. And I believe that in order to share the love of God with our family, our friends and our neighbors, we've got to have courage. Amen. We've got to have courage. So good morning, and I want to say welcome to the Mission Viejo Church of Christ. What a great day to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Uh, if you're visiting with us for the first time, we want to let you know that you are our honored guest, and you're always welcome to this church building when the doors are open. And I say it every single Sunday, and you could probably quote it with me. We believe you've come to the right place, because I don't think you'll find a finer church in all of Mission Viejo. Very good. Very good. Very good. Well, I hope you didn't miss out on all the festivities over the weekend. If you didn't know, 
our church was jam-packed with events over the course of this weekend. So we kicked everything off really during the week with Grandparents' Day here at the church. Marguerite Christian School right over there had Grandparents' Day. So we had grandparents all over our campus roaming around, getting lost, etc. and etc. And, and it was just a great event. The kids got to perform for the, the grandparents, and they had a meal together, and that was outstanding. And then on Friday, we got to prepare for the courtyard event. And I want to say thank you to everybody who came out to the courtyard. We had a wonderful time, uh, a wonderful gathering. Thank you to Alicia for all the work that she did and the Buckners and the Binghams and and everybody else. Mike, you guys know who you are. We had a great time uh, that Friday evening. Then I heard there was a book club going on in the, the, uh, what was it, the fireside room back there. Uh, And just a host of activities and events over the weekend. Cooking club on Saturday so forth and so on. So I hope and pray that you got to be a part of something this weekend, but don't fret if you weren't able to come out. We've got more things prepared upcoming for you. So uh, good job to everyone who had a part in making this weekend special. want to say I I am uh, thinking about my daughter Izzy today. She's probably watching on live stream. I don't know what camera is. Izzy is at home sick with a fever, Uh, so you guys make sure you pray for her. We were up last night with her. You know, the scariest moments as parents is when you're sleeping and you're in your room and the lights are out and it's about three in the morning and you have this figure come and stand right next to your bed and tap you on the shoulder, right? And his, Izzy has really long hair, so when I turned away, she scared me, <laughs> scared me to death, okay? So we're praying for Izzy uh, at home this morning. So as you know, we're closing out our sermon series on the, uh, the book of Acts today. So we have examined the first three chapters of this book, and today we're going to close out with chapter 4. And by way of review, in Acts chapter 1, we see Jesus ascending up into glory, right? And he says to his disciples, you're going to be my witnesses throughout the world when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you're going to go and share the gospel message. You're going to baptize people. You're going to spread the word and you're going to give hope. That was chapter 1, right? And then in chapter 2, we actually see the Holy Spirit show up. And you remember the disciples were in the upper room together, and there was about 120 of them. The Holy Spirit comes, and they're able to speak in tongues, and about 3,000 souls were added to the church. So we see the church grow from 120 to about 3,000 during that time period. And then last week in chapter 3, we read about Peter and John heading to the temple, and they see this disabled man, and they healed this disabled man, and the onlookers were amazed by what was going on. And today, in chapter 4, we really get to read about part B of the story of Peter and John healing this disabled man. And Acts chapter 4 is all about expansion of the kingdom through using courage. And I'm probably going to say that that way the entire time during the sermon today, okay? So if you have your Bibles, open up to Acts chapter 4. Follow along with me in Acts chapter 4. Don't worry about changing these slides just yet. Acts chapter 4, and we're going to read a couple of passages. You guys follow along with me in your Bibles. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, 
and the number of men grew to about 5,000. So we see 120, 3,000, 5,000. The next day, the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Ananias, the high priest, was there, and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, By what power, what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. And the church said, Amen. Acts chapter 4 is a powerful testimony of how the church began to expand because the disciples, in particular Peter and John, had courage. You see, the onlookers were amazed by what Peter and John were able to do by healing this disabled man. So you can see a crowd forming in the temple area, right? And they were all talking about what had happened. And this got the attention of the temple guards, in particular, the captain of the temple guards. Uh, temple guard, if you didn't know, was a member of the tribe of Levi. And in the Old Testament, the Levites were given the task of ministering before the Lord at the temple. And you know this. So many of the Levites were priests. Many of them were musicians. And if you didn't get the job of priest or musician, chances are you were going to be security. Okay? So this commotion is going on. Peter and John sharing this gospel message. The priests were there, the captain of the guard, and the Sadducees. And there was this huge commotion and then we see the scriptures say that it was nine in the morning the third hour of the day and they had been with them until evening time and put them in jail now I don't know how long it takes to baptize 5,000 people or what took place in that time period from about the third hour of the day until the evening they were there and this big event was taking place and it just it just threw people off so everybody was concerned, the priest, the captain of the guard, the Sadducees, about what Peter and John were able to do with this disabled man. So great commotion was happening. And the Sadducees, the scripture says in verse number one, had a serious problem with Peter and John, not so much because of the miracle that they had just performed of healing this disabled man, but they had a problem with Peter and John because they were talking about the resurrection from the dead. You remember the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection from the dead. They didn't believe in the afterlife. So in other words, Peter and John were completely destroying the doctrine of the Sadducees. And like I said, Peter and John were at the temple from about nine in the morning until the evening time. And the Jews had a position, they had some political power, so if there was problems, they were able to take people and throw them into jail. And that's what we see happening with Peter and John now that they're in jail because of the healing of this disabled man. Mike, turn to this first passage. It's found in 
Acts chapter 4 and verse number 12. And what I want to do is just look at a couple of things this morning and hopefully uh, shed some light on some things that you may not have considered before. Acts chapter 4 and verse number 12 says this, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. If you believe that morning, this morning, say amen. If you believe it, say amen. I truly believe this. There is no other way to get to God than through Jesus. No other way. And the problem that the Sadducees, the priests, and the temple guards had with Peter and John was because they were speaking this message. There's only one way to get to God. If you want to know God, if you want to have a close relationship with the creator of the universe, the only way to get to him is through obedience of Jesus Christ. There's no other way. Judaism can't get you there, church. Buddhism can't get you there, church. Hinduism can't get you there, church. Islam can't get you there, church. Mormonism won't help either. It's not by being a good person that you get to be close to God. It's not even by church affiliation. Oh, I didn't hear an amen on that one. Are we sure about that? It's not by church affiliation. It's by Jesus. That's it. That's the only way that you can get to heaven. By Jesus and Jesus alone. There's no other way. And Jesus came, and I have this, this, this statement highlighted in red. He came to save all of mankind, everyone. Jesus wants everyone to be with the Father. And I don't know about you, I think the greatest thing that can ever happen to you in life is to be able to have a relationship with God the Father, the creator and sustainer of everything, to get to know God, to be able to communicate to him, to be able to speak to him, for him to be able to walk with you throughout this troublesome and hard life. It's powerful. And the only way to do that is through Jesus Acts chapter 4 and verse 13. I love this passage. Uh, and if you have a, a, a copy of your bulletin this morning, you can take out your sermon outline and fill in some of the principles that we're studying this morning so you can follow along with us. Acts chapter 4 and verse 13 says this. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Why did they take note that these men had been with Jesus? Because of their courage. Not because of their theological education. Not because they knew all the scriptures in the Bible. Not because they were wealthy. Not because they were important men in society, but they took note and realized that Peter and John had been with Jesus because they were courageous people. Courageous. They had courage. And it's amazing to me how God chose ordinary men. Ordinary men, fishermen, to carry out his business in the world. So, if you want to write something down, write this down. Courage makes people take note of you. Courage causes people to notice you. And why do you want to be noticed? So that you can share the gospel. Courage is what it takes. 
So I posed a question on your outline, and I want to I ponder this question together. Why is courage so important? Why is courage so important to the Christian mission in the world? Why is courage so important? So you guys feel in some of these principles, take these things down and, and keep them with you. Uh, God wants people that are courageous. Why is courage so important? Well, number one, it, it, it ignites confidence. It ignites confidence. It inspires others. It impedes evil, and it initiates church growth. You like how I used all those eyes? It took me a while to figure out how to do that. Anyway, it ignites, inspires, impedes, and initiates. Ignites confidence. You know, the opposite of courage is fear. And fear can keep us from being the people that God wants us to be. Amen? Fear stands in opposition to faith. And when you face a fear and you're able to overcome that fear, you gain confidence. You see, courage is not the absence of fear, but courage is being able to have the guts to stand up and to face your fears. And all of us are fearful or afraid of something. As many of you know, I'm coaching uh, girls basketball and I'm coaching two teams. I have the, um, the middle schoolers, uh, ages or grades six and seven, and then I have the younger ones, grades three and four, okay? And many of the girls that I coach, they've never played basketball before, in particular the third graders and the, and the fourth graders. And many of them come out and they play basketball and they're so, so timid and they're so scared. There's this one girl on my team, her name is Kate. Kate is about this big, sweetheart doesn't know a thing about basketball. When she showed up to basketball practice, she had some low-top track shoes on to play basketball, right? Uh, she had knee pads, elbow pads, and her mom would have put a helmet on her head if I didn't stop her, amen? So timid and so scared. So while we're at practice, if she dribbles the ball and it bounces too hard, she, she shakes, right? And when she's grabbing a rebound or trying to get the ball, she'll, she'll back away from people because she's so timid and she's so scared. And I noticed this from Kate. So one day at practice, I pulled Kate aside and I said, Kate, do you realize how strong you are? And she said, I'm strong? I said, yeah, let me see your muscle. And she went, and I said, wow, look at those, right? Trying to instill confidence in her. You know what I told her? This is probably bad, but I did it anyway. I said, Kate, you're the best player on our team. And she said, you know what? I think you're right, right? <laughs> so she goes around telling everybody on the team, Coach Jay said, I'm the best on the team, right? So we had a game on Saturday. When Kate stepped onto the court, Kate took a shot and made a basket. The crowd went wild. <sighs> but the problem after that is every time she touched the ball, she took a shot, right? <laughs> every single time. But the story I thought was so powerful and so moving because I saw a confidence grow in her because she had a little bit of courage. And by the way, we won yesterday, right? So we whooped the other team. Very, thank you, thank you, thank you very much. Thank you very much. <laughs> There's something about courage that gives us confidence when we think we can do it. And as I think about our church and I think about the Christian mission in the world today, we're up against a lot. 
There's a lot of things that are happening in the world that are just difficult and hard to process and to overcome. And the church, more so than now, I think, has to be really courageous. If we want to share the gospel of Christ with our friends, our family members, our neighbors, we have to have courage. As a church, if we want our church to grow, we have to be courageous people. We can't be scared of anything, right? This is God's place. He knows what he's doing. He wants people to have courage, right? What else does courage do? Well, courage inspires others. All it takes is one person. All it takes is one person. And one person, if they stand up and have courage, can change the attitudes of many. You guys remember the story of King David in Scripture, right? David versus Goliath. Classic story. Remember Saul and his army were out there getting ready to fight, and Goliath, this huge guy, comes out and a champion. And, you know, everybody was shaking in their boots. Saul said, we can't do this. The rest of the army, we can't win. We can't defeat this guy. And you know what David said? How dare you? How dare you defy my God? How dare you think that you can take on my God? So you remember David? He took a slingshot, had a stone, and chucked it at Goliath and took him out. Young boy, but had so much courage, and that changed everything that day. I think God is looking for people in his church with courage, who have courage, and you can change the attitudes of many. What else? Well, courage impedes evil. Well, how so? Um, scripture says that Satan is like a roaring lion, roaming around, seeking whom he may devour, right? But Scripture also says if you stand up to Satan, that he's a coward, and he'll do what? Flee from you. And when I think of that word flee, I don't think of just turn around and walking away. I think of full-out sprint. He's running away from you, right? You know, a lot of times in life, we're tempted with things. And I don't know what your temptation is. I don't know how Satan tries to destroy you. But all of us have little things, idiosyncrasies, things that we struggle with. And Satan knows our weak spot every single time, doesn't he? He knows if we have a problem with anger, he's going to put something our way to make us upset, right? If he knows that we have a problem with worry, worry is going to be all around us all the time, right? If we, he knows we have a problem with forgiveness, right, somebody's going to be trying you all the time, right? And what we can do is we can give in, right? Or we can stand up and say, you know what, I'm not going to let you beat me up, Satan. Scripture says our war is not against flesh and blood, right? Not against flesh and blood. So if we're able to stand up to Satan when we're tempted, all we do is get stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. So whatever thing you're tempted with, I would encourage you this week, stand up. Stand up. Stand up to Satan, and he'll flee from you. And he's going to come back, but you're going to be stronger and stronger and stronger, and you'll be able to overcome whatever you're going through. But it takes courage to be able to stand up to Satan. Courage it impedes evil. And lastly, courage initiates growth. We learn later on, and we're not going to cover this in Acts, but if you look at Acts chapter 6, I believe, or Acts chapter 7, we see, uh, Acts chapter 7, we see the stoning of Stephen. You remember, Stephen was hand-selected to take care of some ministry within the church. There were some uh, 
widows being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So we see the apostles appointing some men to be able to serve in that capacity. Then we hop over to chapter 7, and we know Stephen stands up and gives a very courageous talk in front of these, in, in front of these naysayers these Jewish people that just didn't believe in Jesus. He stands up and he has courage. And you know what they did to him? They stoned him to death. But you know what that did to the church? It lit a fire in the church. And the church began to grow even more. Do you guys know the story of Perpetua? Have you heard of that name before? Perpetua. Perpetua was an early Christian martyr. Her story is really interesting. Perpetua, this was probably about the 7th century or so, Perpetua was this young Christian woman who grew up in this Roman system. And during this time, Christianity was getting a bad name, right? And many of the Romans were persecuting the church. They had this Colosseum, and what they would do is they would put Christians in there and put wild animals in there, and they would attack the Christians. They would cover Christians in oil and light them on fire. So it was really tough being a Christian. Perpetua was 22 years old at the time, a believer in Jesus Christ. And the story goes that Perpetua was with child. She was pregnant, and she did not denounce her faith when the Roman soldiers came in and said, what are you doing? You're a part of this cult, and this cult is designed to overthrow the government. So they took Perpetua, who was married, 22 years old at the time, and pregnant, and they threw her in jail, along with her maid servant. And not only did they throw her in jail, they mistreated her while she was in jail. And you guys can look up the history, look up the church history. Many of Perpetua's family came in and said, hey, just denounce your faith. Just denounce it. Instead of being put to death, just announce it uh, uh, and, and come out of prison. Perpetua said, no, I'm not going to do that. And they killed Perpetua while she was in prison, 22 years old, with child and her maid servant. Courage. And because of her courage, the church began to spread even more. So if we want our church to grow here at the Mission Viejo Church of Christ, we can't live in fear. We have to live courageously. We have to live courageously. Next, Acts chapter 19 and verse number 20. Acts chapter 19, verses 19 through 24. Acts chapter 4, 19 through 20. I apologize. It says this, But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. I love this text. Which is right in God's eyes? I wish we would ask that question more often than not. What's right in God's eyes? What does God think about this? What does God want me to do? You know, there's a movement in America today to silence Christianity. Would you agree? There's a movement in our culture today to silence Christianity. You know, I'm only 34 years old. I'll be 35 in May. Amen. Uh, but I remember going to school as a younger boy. We were still allowed to pray in class, right? We would do the Pledge of Allegiance, and we don't even do that anymore in school today. Not really. But we were able to do the Pledge of Allegiance, and maybe because I grew up in the South, we were also able to pray in class. 
Today, that is no more. You're not allowed to do that, right? Not allowed to do that. In the media today, what we see is we see a war against Christianity. We don't want to see any Christian messaging on television today, but we'll put anything else out there, won't we? They can share their opinion, but when it comes to Christianity, be quiet about that Jesus character. We don't want to hear about him. So if you notice in media today, there is definitely an agenda, and that agenda is to silence Christianity. And I see it all over the place. In nonprofit work, we see it as well. Right? If you've ever done work with nonprofits, we have been doing some work at this, uh, uh, this middle school, and we work with a nonprofit organization, and this nonprofit says, hey, we're Christian-based, but guess what? Shh, we can't share the message. We've got to be quiet. So there's this move within our culture today to silence, to silence the Christian message. And the question is, should we obey man's standards, or should we obey God's standards? And what I love about this text, they say, look, we can't help to talk about what we've seen and what we've heard. So I was at uh, Martin Henniger Middle School in Santa Ana, and I was serving with a nonprofit. And they said, Jason, we know you're a preacher. We know you're a Christian. We're going to let you do some music, but don't mention Jesus at all in your music. So the first song that I do is called Trust in the Lord. And I was asking the kids during the course, will you sing with me during the course? And they said, yeah. And I said, sing it with me. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And they said, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And it was amazing. You know what the superintendent did when he came up and spoke to me? He said, thank you for your courage. I appreciate you doing that. And he gave me an award. I thought that was pretty neat. God knows what he's doing. Amen. Have the courage to say it. I can't keep quiet about what I've seen and heard. I love the Lord and I can't be quiet. And that's what it takes. It takes courage. Courageous people to stand up and to speak the truth. Lastly, I want to leave you with some practical application this morning as we close with Acts chapter 4 and verse number 31. This is a powerful text, so I just want you to think about it for a moment here. After they prayed... The place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. There's something about prayer. Something about prayer that gives us strength and gives us the ability to be bold. There's something about collective prayer that does that. Now, I know all of us, we pray individually, we pray with our families, but there's something about having a good old-fashioned prayer meeting at this church that is so special, amen? And you remember those growing up. We used to always do it on New Year's. We used to celebrate New Year's at the church, right? As a kid, I used to hate it, right? And we used to come and we used to pray until midnight. Do you remember that? We don't do that anymore. I remember growing up, I couldn't stand that. I wanted to be out with my friends, but we would pray and bring in the new year, right? There's something about prayer that is so powerful. And I hope and pray as a church that we would come together and we would just spend time in prayer. Spend time in prayer, so much so that it gets a little awkward. You know those times where 
that prayer just continues on and on and on and on, and you're like, come on, please. But there's something about praying together, spending time in prayer that gives us strength and it gives us the ability to be bold. And I hope and pray that we would come together and pray as a church more often and watch what God does. And I hope and pray that one day, you know, I'm kind of campaigning for our shepherds a little bit. We need to just have a time where we get together and we just have a, a prayer meeting where we just come together and we just pray for about three hours together and see what that does. Wonder how many people would show. Well, what I want to do... Um, practical application, I think Holy Spirit moment for sure, because what I wanted to do as we close out our sermon today is to have everybody come forward, link hands, and we're going to close out our service in prayer today, okay? So that's what I want to do, but before I close, I just want to say this. We, we can't be afraid to love people. We can't be afraid to invite people to church. We can't be afraid about teaching others the message of Christ. We, we can't if we expect to be about kingdom business. We've got to be courageous. And I really do believe it starts with prayer.